Hello and welcome to the Zenster Podcast. This is the weekend edition and we are going to continue to cover the Tao Te Ching and we start our day off with gratitude always. So um, I'm just going to jump right into it and following, uh, just to follow up, I'm doing a series on the weekends and attempting to cover some of the great scriptures. We're starting with the Tao Te Ching in Eastern philosophy. Um, and we'll try to break down some of these chapters and uh, discover how these things can be uh, used in our own lives as well as look at other uh, religious texts or ph- philosophical texts and try to find ways that they, they're connecting and sharing a very similar message. So today we're going to cover chapters 8 through 14 and we start with chapter 8. And the supreme is the supreme good is like water, which nourishes all things without trying to. It is content with the low places that people disdain. Thus, it is like the Tao. In dwelling, live close to the ground. In thinking, keep to the simple. In conflict, be fair and generous. In governing, do not try to control. In work, do what you enjoy. In family life, be completely present. When you are content to be simply yourself and don't compare or compete, everybody will respect you. And I thought this was uh, a great analogy, a, d- a great framing, and a way to observe the simple thing that keeps us alive, water, and how it can be aligned with our own spirituality and we see this analogy across many uh, a lot of eastern philosophy and it has been repeated and because it's such a a great framing on you know being adaptable being humble being gentle you know all akin to the nature of water and doing it all without with little effort and we see these different um, analogies, such as in water, such as water, uh, in different philosophical contexts. In Stoicism, you know, we talk about living in harmony with nature, and this aligns with this principle of following the tower, following the water. Um, water is simple and virtuous and all of its external circumstances are met with an internal steadiness. In Buddhism, the concept of dukkha, which translates to suffering, and anatta, the non-self, find a renaissance in this text, emphasizing, you know, to go with the flow and not asserting the ego. And the idea of non-striving and just flowing with things um, is very similar in the Buddhist uh, text, you know, practicing mindfulness and a detachment from desires. We see it in Western philosophy. Concept of water is an element that is essential and adaptable. Uh, This is aligned with Aristotle's idea of the golden mean, a desirable middle between the two extremes. And, you know, water is very much 
in this way aligning itself um, through all of its circumstances and constantly finding uh, level and balance and um, so we see these things uh, across different scriptures different philosophical takes and always uh, you know water is uh, always being its true nature it's always uh, surrounding its environment if it's put into a cup takes the shape in the form of the cup and just reminds us that um, we need to you know the last words say it well when you are content to be simply yourself and don't compare or compete everyone will respect you and we have that same uh, approach uh, to water and I love that so chapter 9 fill your bowl to the brim and it will spill keep sharpening your knife and it will blunt Chase after money and security, and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval, and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. So much wisdom packed into this small uh, group of words. Uh, but the big takeaway is that um, you know we need to achieve balance and moderation. Fill your bowl to the brim, and it will spill. Sharpen your knife, keep sharpening your knife, it'll blunt. Chase after money and security, and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval, and you become their prisoner. Um, this is so true. If, if we put too much of our emphasis onto one specific thing, if we want to achieve something uh, so much, how, how much are we going to trade away to accomplish that? If you care about other people's approval and you know, you are held to that belief, you know, waiting, you know, for your boss to say it's okay. You know, you're basically their prisoner. You are uh, tied to their approval. And then when we, uh, you know, to, to combat that, and, and we've seen this across uh, other religious, religious uh, philosoph philosophy as well. Um, you know, stoicism is, is such a, a great uh, example, you know, where they talk about moderation and and self-control, you know, understanding our own limitations and how overindulgence um, can be a pathway to, you know, loss of virtue. And so chapter nine really just simplifies that message with an analogy, uh, looking at the different instruments in our life and how, you know, too much in excess, it will you know, break, you know, the value and the meaning, the virtue of that specific thing. Chapter 10, <clears throat> can you coax your mind from its wandering and keep to the original oneness? Can you let your body become subtle as a newborn child's? Can you cleanse your inner vision until you see nothing but light? Can you love people and lead them without imposing your will? Can you deal with the most vital matters by letting events take their course? Can you step back from your own mind and thus understand all things? Giving birth and nourishing, having without possessing, acting with no expectations, leading and trying not to control. This is the supreme virtue. In this verse, uh, or this chapter, we are called into action or called to a challenge. Can you coax your mind from wandering and keep 
to the original oneness? Can you let your body become supple as a newborn child? Can you? So he's calling out, can you do these things? Um, <clears throat> when we are acting with no expectations or leading and not trying to control, this is a supreme virtue. So again, our ego wants to you know, go a different direction. The ego is in a constant mode of uh, self-protection, self-fulfillment, and the true nature, our true selves, which would be uh, without the attachment to these certain uh, egotistical things, um, is where, you know, we, we try to strive to be. That is the light. But we're so trained over years, ever since our birth, that we are, um, you know, resembling the the acts of the peers, our peers around us, and all the things that we um, grew up with, the attachments we grew up with. And, um, oh, there's so, this, this is just a, a virtue in itself, just trying to, you know, lead without control, act with no expectations. Because when we do an act, when we do a deed for somebody, oftentimes there's an association with it where we're keeping score. Even if we don't write it down, there's a mental scorekeeping that we do. And uh, to act without that is the supreme virtue. So um, I think this gives us a, a deep perception and insight of uh, trying to clear the mind and uh, let go of certain attachments and uh, understand the nature of reality. So chapter 11 says, We join spokes together in a wheel, but it is the center hole that makes the wagon move. We shape clay into a pot, but it's emptiness. it is the emptiness inside that holds whatever we want. We hammer wood for a house, but it is the inner space that makes it livable. We work with being, but non-being is what we use. So what is this chapter referring to? Well, it's talking about a, the, the utility of the non-existent or the value of emptiness. And talks about, you know, the, the space that is inside of a pot or a house um, that's the inner space that makes it livable. So how we arrange uh, this uh, environment uh, makes you know it more more livable. And, and use the analogy, if we are have an emptier house, right? We don't have things to bump into or things that would get in our way. Uh, I know that doesn't necessarily fit with the house analogy, but. Um, we see it in Buddhism, where there, the, there's a, an emphasized focus on the concept of emptiness or <clears throat> being free of uh, attachment. Um, you know, things don't possess inherent existence, and uh, understanding, you know, the emptiness of, you know, the void of, of life. You know, these things are only temporary. They only have temporary meaning because we assign them meaning but if you take that away then it doesn't have meaning there's nothing there um, and this emptiness is 
what leads us to enlightenment, having that clarity of thought. And um, the value is in the immaterial things. It is the absence within the form, um, which is an emphasis which we're discussing in this chapter. But it also talk, you know, focuses on um, the utility of emptiness and how that it is the center of us, you know, the, the centered part within us um, that makes the wheel turn. And so that is an important part of uh, understanding. I mean, that is an interpretation I like to view it as. Uh, my dog disagrees. She, she thinks differently. Chapter 12. Colors blind the eye. Sounds deafen the ear. Flavors numb the taste. Thoughts weaken the mind. Desires wither the heart. The master observes the world, but trusts his inner vision. He allows things to come and go. His heart is open as the sky. Now this is just, um, you know, gives us an, a, a, paints a picture, gives us an analogy where an excess of certain things can have the opposite effect. You know, too much flavor numbs the taste. And I think we see that in a lot of modern foods. It's oversalted and things like that. Um, it makes us numb to the taste and, you know, the purpose of the taste, the reason for the taste. Um, you know, excess of sound can deafen the ear. Excess of colors uh, can blind the eye. Or excess of brightness. Um, thoughts in that manner can weaken the mind. So that negative repetition, you know, think of all of these as a pattern. If you have an excess of a pattern and you have an excess volume of the pattern, then it's going to have an eroding effect. Desires wither the heart. Um, very much so. If we're chasing desires constantly, if we're chasing after those dopamine hits and those pleasures, it will have an effect on our heart. And I think they mean that, you know, in a lot of these ancient uh, texts, uh, both in a metaphorical but also in a literal way because you know your heart is really essentially a, a clock of your of your lifetime that's with you beating the whole time and um, when we you you know we almost strip away the you know those beats available when we overindulge in certain things and whether that's food uh, maybe it's you know something we're watching too much uh, you know, too much in excess of anything. Um, but you know, they always refer to the master. But I think you know, the master is a metaphorical person. It's not. Um, you could insert, you know, Jesus or Buddha, or anyone who has demonstrated a discipline around these practices, and you could say that would be the master. And I'm sure there's many others that are unnamed and unknown. Um, but the, the true message here that really holds value is, you know, the true master allows things to come and go. His heart is open as the sky. So understanding that we have to accept certain aspects of our existence, of our reality, of um, 
our environment, you know, playing the cards we're dealt and just moving along uh, through the, you know, the, the river of life. Because each and every one of us, you know, was assigned a different role in this life. And your purpose is very important, you know, just as important as, say, the president of the United States or, you know, the leader of a country or a leader of a, of a, a company or whatever it is. And so, you know, the purpose you're serving, you know, holds an equal weight of value. Um, as measured, if you're looking at it from a pure energy standpoint, is measured by that. Um, you know, as a as a, contr a contributor to the whole. And <clears throat> so, when we let go, and this is your heart being open as the sky, and allow things to come and go, and not put judgment on them. I mean, it's okay to get frustrated, right? It's okay to, you know, have uh, emotions and have feelings in this world. Um, but, you know, we try not to judge them, right? And that's the goal is we try to strive closer towards um, just acceptance and accepting all of these things as true. And it covers it really well here in chapter 13. Uh, success is as dangerous as failure. Hope is as hollow as fear. What does it mean that success is as dangerous as failure? Whether you go up the ladder or down it, your position is shaky. When you stand up, stand with your two feet on the ground, you will always keep your balance. What does it mean that hope is as hollow as fear? Hope and fear are both phantoms that arise from thinking of the self. When we don't see the self as the self, what do we have to fear? See the world as yourself. Have faith in the way things are. Love the world as yourself. Then you can care for all things. So what do you think <clears throat> he meant by love the world as yourself? Well, I think it's uh, a testament to you know the, the surrounding of nature around us. And we... You know, when we can give um, an amount of love towards a tree or you know, share in that same sentiment with, you know, a rabbit that crosses our path um, and understand, you know, this is the case with the humans that are have the opposite opinions of us, that when we are, you know, whatever we're doing, we're doing, you know, to nature, we're doing to ourselves. And so if we see the world as ourselves um, and have faith in the way that the things are in the current situation, then we can provide love to the world. And then we can have a care for all things. And the care isn't care isn't worry. You know, if you don't uh, care, then you should worry. Um, but it is in the context of, you know, stripping away the labels. His success is as dangerous as failure. Um, you know, whether you're going up or down the ladder, your position is shaky. So why even give, you know, get on the ladder? If you could just stand on the ground, and the ground is being grounded in reality, in a in the pragmatic way, um, 
then you're better grounded. You'll always keep your balance. But if you go up the ladder, you're going to be, you know, fighting battles along the way, and you're going to have to do it while standing on a ladder, you know, whether you're going up or down. Uh, same as hope and fear. I talked about this before. There are basically two sides of a, a different coin. And it's noted here, they're both phantoms. And we connect with it because it's our ego self that is driving this uh, protectionism, this approach to ensure that the self remains in this constant state. So just as your true self is trying to break free, your ego self is also trying to you know, maintain a grip and hold a balance. And it's always the true self and the ego self that are in this constant battle. And the closer we can align with the true self, you know, the closer we are to our true nature. So just as in our true nature, you know, to get to that state of, you know, purity, you know, ridding ourselves of the attachments, um, we have to let go and accept things the way they are. Not much different than what the Stoics preached about being unaffected by external events and situations that are outside of our control and allowing some of these things to play out just as they must just as they must in nature you know just as a tree falls in the woods it provides new shelter for a squirrel it provides growth for the mushrooms which the mush mushrooms consume the trees and the cycle uh, repeats over and over again uh, this is true in our social lives but our ego out there is you know, trying dearly to hold on to everything in life. And that's how we get the, the emotions of fear, the, the emotions of anxiety. It's because we're getting those negative, those repeated thought patterns coming at us. And, and we're in this, this negative loop pattern. And, um, you know, it's our, it's our nature. It's our goal. It's our, it's our, uh, obligation to break through these. And to, you know, see that, you know, during this life, you know, this opportunity, we get to be uh, graced upon this earth, that we get to uh, use this as, uh, you know, an opportunity to live, to express ourselves, to be here within this, uh, in, in this lifetime, at this time, in this place. Because it's all only temporary. So, um, <clears throat> chapter 14, look, it can't be seen, listen, and it can't be heard, reach, and it can't be grasped, above, it isn't bright, below, it isn't dark, seamless, unnameable, it returns to the realm of nothing, form that includes all forms, image without an image, subtle beyond all conception, Approach it, and there is no beginning. Follow it, and there is no end. You can't know it, but you can be it at ease in your own life. Just realize where you come from. This is the essence of wisdom. So where do we come from? That is the age-old question of man or humanity that we're always trying to find the answer for. But, you know, a lot of these teachings, they teach us, you know, we came from nothing, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. 
we come from dust and uh, we return to dust and it is part of the cycle and the pattern that continues and <clears throat> what I forget who made the expression you know we're basically breathing in stardust today from a million years ago or whatever it was is considered um, I think you know there there's some things that are you know left unsaid like think of how the the gap in communication we have in understanding like a dog like you, you kind of get the basic gist of, of of a dog and how they operate and they get happy they wag their tail they like food etc but you can't have a deep and meaningful conversation with a dog i mean you can say you want a treat want to go for a walk or whatever the case is and they can understand those sounds but you can't connect on a on a a peer-to-peer -peer kind of you know talk about the universe and type things so there's there's a complete gap in understanding and the dog can't understand you now they can understand you know clues and nuances and uh, different things as you engage with them but they don't understand nature as you interpret it or as you see it or understand that you can control you know certain aspects of you know reality um but can you really because you know maybe it's all pre-programmed anyway so um they're not thinking the, in the philosophical sense or looking at how do we build a better place for dogs in this this world that we got or anything like that they're very responsive to their to their nature so um you know the the tau or the you know, whatever you want to call it, the I think the um, is it the the uh, Hindus call it the Brahmin. Um, you know, it's it's something that's beyond all description and understanding. And as soon as we start to try to describe it, then we're adding labels to it, and um, it. So, in the same layer and level that we have trouble communicating, there's probably a gap in under you know what our limitations are in in the physical world to understand this. But just as you know, water returns to the sea, or water goes into its lowest form, water gets evaporated and reused, repurposed. You know, this is true of the human condition, and we start as little drops of water and then we form into these societies and and then we um you know we go back into the into the ground of, <laughs> and then evaporate back in you know through a, a, a karmic cycle uh, perhaps you know this is the unknown part that you know the fear of death because we don't know what is beyond it but understanding this and understanding and accepting that we can't know, um, but we can, you know, be present in these moments and be connected with all the things that surround us. And I think this is why gratitude practices are so powerful because you're acknowledging your environment and you're demonstrating and you know an external energy a form of um expanding your appreciation for 
the environment or the situation or whatever it is. And so you're connecting more close closely with uh, all of the aspects of your own life. And we have, you know, in that sense, we can control it. We can't control the external circumstances, the situations that are outside of our control, but we can control the way that we respond to them when they do happen. We can control, um, you know, our connection to them. And that's really just, you know, what it, what it means to be in the present moment is to be, you know, deeply rooted, deeply connected in that moment versus um, understanding, you know, the totality. Our brains can't process and comprehend. I mean, look how much history, at least the written history that we know. And then there's the unwritten history and then all these things that we're still discovering that, um, you know, just show us that these cycles of birth and death and, you know, uh, forward progress, linear progress uh, to one degree or the other. And that I think that cycle is through, you know, a birth and death process, also through societies and, and um, cultures and all these things. But they, these things take a long time. We get so narrow-minded. It's, again, it's our ego, you know, just trying to capture, um, you know, our, our uh, recapture us to, you know, be back to that social, you know, unconnected, um, you know, we're an unconnected node just wavering in the wind. But we're, you know, connecting ourselves through groupthink and group uh, dialogue and, you know, global brainism. But to break free of that, to be completely grounded, we have to be in that present moment, you know, amongst, uh, you know, with gratitude for all of the things that surround us and that, that support us, you know, all the things, even all the memories, all the, the bad things, everything that was taught to us, you know, we have to embrace and accept everything that's happened to us. We have to embrace and accept. Uh, we can't compare our lives to others' lives. I mean, we want to. We our brain loves it, you know, because you're you're competing. You're competing with another person. But um, the the true essence of wisdom is that there is no beginning and there is no end. It's just a continuous stream of humanity and life. You know, a continuous stream of life that continues to glow and, you know, follow the stream, you know, of, of life through its, through its journey. So I'm going to do <clears throat> one more and then uh, we'll wrap it up and try to keep them at a half hour or so. Uh, but we're learning, we're practicing, we're, we're trying something new and uh, I'm learning. I hope you are too. Because uh, this is this is new and fun and um, you know a, a good opportunity to to share and ancient wisdom and, and talk about you know things and and experience you know think about how to experience life. So uh, chapter fifteen, the ancient masters were profound and subtle. Their wisdom was unfathomable. There is no way to describe it. All we can describe is their appearance. They were careful, as someone crossing an iced over stream, alert as a warrior in enemy territory, courteous as a guest, fluid as melted, melting ice, shapeable as a block of wood, 
receptive as a valley, clear as a glass of water. Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? The master does not seek fulfillment, not seeking, not expecting. She is present and can welcome all things. And this is a good chapter to end on. And the analogy of, um, you know, wait, having uh, the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear, you know, goes to show, you know, the profound wisdom, you know, that's captured here. And I realized too, last time I was reading for, through the notes in the back, I'm kind of riffing a little more on this one, but that's all right. Let me know if you like that better or we should um, stick to better comparisons. Um, anyway, uh, but understanding, you know, comes through a grasp of reality, not through a deep intellectual analysis. You know, we got so dependent on, you know, the experts' opinions and the, the thoughts of other people to do, you know, doing the work for us. And, and that's important. Don't get me wrong. Uh, that's very important to have people who understand uh, narrow fields and subjects. But it isn't, the, you know, the totality of it. Um, the way that we can get there is through a profound, uh, you know, understanding of our own reality. And that's, you know, touching grass, that's being physically present. And, but sometimes, you know, we have to be patient enough to wait for our mud to settle. But in the meantime, as the masters show, you know, again, the, you know, um, hypothetical master, um, always be alert, always be courteous, fluid as melting ice, shapeable as a block of wood, receptive as a valley, clear as a glass of water. So not having all these attachments and all these uh, preconceived judgments and preconceived uh, notions that are you know, that, that were taught to us. Um, you know, deep understanding of, of clarity or of um, life is found through, you know, being able to see through the, the muddy water. And sometimes, you know, as it takes in muddy water, sometimes it takes time for the dirt to settle at the bottom or what, wherever. Um, and through stillness and through the power of just quiet contemplation, we can find that inner calm. So we shouldn't be seeking, uh, you know, we should not be expecting, but be present and welcome all things and wait, watch and, you know, wait for those things to arise. And patience is a virtue that I think you know, it's funny because we are constantly striving for, you know, that fulfillment in our minds, that, you know, short-term, 
you know, need the next thing, keep our minds active, keep them going, keep our bodies and everything, you know, flowing. But true clarity is found through just being patient and waiting. And we need to have those moments in our lives and we need to have them every day. We need to take a pause and be present and that is, you know, our daily bread and that is the fulfillment of our spiritual journey that we need. It isn't um with the scripture, although, you know, this gives you clarity and, you know, ideas to bounce off of. It is really the calming of our own minds and being able to sit there patiently while we wait for the mud to settle. So, um, that is the Tao Te Ching weekend edition chapters eight through 15. Uh, hope you enjoyed this. Uh, again, going to continue to, you know, move along, uh, the path of doing these on the weekend. Um, and see how it goes. I'll try to get one in for Sunday as well, but no promises. Just need to carve out the time to sit down and, and record. But uh, appreciate you listening to this, and we'll see you again next time.